Anybody else that could have just sang and sang and sang? Of all the weeks, I couldn't sing out loud. Last week I did, and then my voice became like this. Thank you for leading us to worship this morning. Today I'd like to I'd like to take you through three stories, and anytime you do three biblical stories, you're having to leave big swaths out. They're familiar stories. Some of you will know them well. Some of you will wonder why I left your best and favorite, most favorite part out, but it's not intentional. Mostly. But I want to invite you to start in John chapter 4. Book of John, chapter 4. I love John. I love John. I love the deeply reflected upon message in John. John is in no way accidental. John has looked over the other Gospels and he's decided what to mimic and what to add. Because John is looking at you and looking at me and he's saying the people who will come who will never know someone who knew Jesus personally are going to need some other information. If you remember the book of John, you remember that in chapter 3, Jesus has had a conversation with one of the most powerful men in Israel. A member of the Sanhedrin, Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. A man of amazing status comes to meet Jesus in the darkness. And some of the best theology in all of Scripture is shared in those 10 verses or so. Remember, there are no separations for chapters in the original letter. And so John goes from chapter 3 and the encounter of Jesus with this very powerful man to chapter 4. And Jesus speaking to a woman from Samaria who is the least powerful person in all of Israel by nature of culture and status. So I want to just pick up her story for a minute. We'll... We'll go back and catch some of these things on slides in just a second, but would you join me? John chapter 4. Therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came and to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In order to have a valley, you have to have a mountain. How would you know what a valley was if you'd never seen a mountain? And how would you know what a mountain was if you hadn't seen a valley? John has taken us to the cultural mountaintop in the previous chapter, and he brings us to a literal, physical, spiritual, and cultural valley moment. Let's pray. 
Father, as we open, our, open your word, we pray that we would not find ourselves at the end of the day in the same place we are right now. That your word would be powerful and effective in us. That our hearts would be open. That the preacher would be yours and yours only. From the time we spent make us more. Call us to be more like Jesus. Amen. So John chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. He came to a Samaritan village called Sikar. We don't actually know where this village is. We know its proximity because it says that Jacob's well was there. So he comes to this little unknown village to us. Near the field that Jacob's well, Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. There you go. Most of the pictures you see of Israel are of Israel in the summer or of Israel in uh, the fall. If you send your, your family pictures of the hills of the Bay Area in the summer, they're not impressed. But if you send them pictures of the hills of the Bay Area, in the springtime, they look like that. So there you go. This valley that you're looking at, that's where Abraham stopped under the trees of Mamre and he camped. And he, This is a valley where Abraham built an altar in the promised land to God. Back in the distance, the city you see is Shechem. Remember all the things that happened, Shechem. Jacob spends three years at Shechem before he goes to Hebron. This valley carries so much Jewish history. And this valley, this valley is in Samaria. Oh, he called the Jews that Jacob's well was in Samaria. How could God allow something like that to happen? Jesus had to pass through this valley text says. He had to. But it's not on his way. Jesus had to pass through the valley, but it's not on his way. It is not the normal path for a man of Jesus' statute, stature and of Jesus' religion to go. You never go through in the background of that valley, you see two hills. Do you see them? Evil and Gerizim. Evil was the mountain of the curse. And if you were able to go there and climb it, you would see why. It's covered in big stones, big rocks all over the place. Now, unfortunately, in the present time in Israel, most of the place is covered in big stones because they cut all the trees down. You want to see what happens when you cut all the trees down? Go to Israel. No topsoil, rocks everywhere. But that particular mountain was not just chosen as the mountain of the curse because Jesus just said, okay, when you get there, Moses, that's the mountain of the curse. Or you get there, Joshua, that's the mountain of the curse. It looked like a cursed place. No water sources, no big trees, some grass in the spring and nothing later. Next to it, across from it, across this valley where Shechem sits at the heart, was the other mountain, Mount Gerizim, the mountain of the promise. And at the end of Jacob's story, if you are at the end of Joshua's story, you remember when Joshua comes into the promised land at the end of the story, he gathers all Israel in this valley. Now you see how three million people could gather in one valley. There they stood. He reads the blessings and the curses that Moses had pronounced in Deuteronomy. And he, as he reads them out, they swear their allegiance to God and to the acceptance of his blessings. Why do I tell you all of this? That woman who Jesus met that day was in that valley between blessings and cursings. In the background of this entire story, off to the west from the well, the well where Jacob had been are the mountains, Gerizim and evil, blessings, 
beautiful trees, springs flowing out of the mountain, wonderful grasslands, such a great place, Gerizim. And Ebal. Ebal. All it could ever get was a fake covering from the rain to hide the big stones that really occupied that mountain. Israel, do you want this? Do you want to pretend faith that covers itself only once a year and then reveals itself the rest of the time? Do you want a faith that you can throw on for a moment but will never hold you through the hot summer months? Or do you want the blessings that are available where the springs of living water flow out? Jesus sits down at the well and has a conversation with this woman. I love this line. Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well. Jesus sat. And he sat wearily. Man who'd walked a long way. Man, his heart was heavy. His legs were like lead. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's sitting in a well that he has no access to. Water is right there. But he has no bucket. Has no access. Wearily sitting by the well. A Samaritan woman comes to draw water. And you've heard her story, right? She's out in the middle of the day in the heat of the day because she doesn't want to come out when other people are there. But when she comes to the well, she finds this this obvious Hebrew. Stinking Hebrew. Sitting by her well. Male... Jewish. He's got the blue little strings hanging out of his outfit. He's got the hair and the beard and it's uncut on the edges. And he's an observant Jew. And as she's as he starts to come into view, the interaction she's about to have starts to weary her. It's not her first interaction with a person like this. They're so stinking high and mighty. And there he sits. She tries to ignore him when she gets to the well. She just goes about the business of collecting her water. She drops her her jar into the well, starts to draw up the water, and he can't just leave her alone. She don't want to talk to him. She don't want to deal with him. Sometimes it gets that way with Jesus, right? Sometimes it gets that way. You just, sometimes you don't want to deal with it. Sometimes you don't want to talk to him. He says, please. He says, please. sits there wearily. He doesn't sit there enthroned and expectant. He's tired and he's showing it. And he's showing it in front of this woman as she walks up. And he says, please? He doesn't have to say please to her. He can say anything he wants to her culturally. He knows that culturally he has all the status and she has none. And since he knows her backstory, he knows she doesn't even have status in her own town. But he says, please. He hands the authority in this conversation over to her. We use the word agency. You like that word? He hands agency. Please give me some water. He's got 12 guys who will be right back, who will do anything he wants. He had to go to Samaria. No, he didn't. 
There's a lot of ways for him to get to Galilee without going through this spot. But he goes. Had to. He had an appointment. Please give me a drink. Her answer is, why are you asking me to give you a drink? You do know that when I touch this jar and drop it in this well, the water you drink becomes unclean, according to you. I can't even give you water fit to drink because of who I am and who you are. And all manner of things are discussed that I would really like to get into, but I'm not. says, sir, woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for living water, and I would give you water so you would never thirst again. She says the obvious. You don't even have a bucket. Come on, high and mighty man. Where are you getting the water? This well is deep. Jacob, our, our father, our, our father, Hebrew man, dug this well. Where are you going to get living water? It's really a... I love the fact that when Jesus puts her in the driver's seat, she slams that baby in gear and drives. When you read this next time, maybe this afternoon, when you read this, realize how much authority she takes on. She leads this conversation. She is not going to let off on this guy till he forces her. It's, it's a great conversation. It is, it is the way God handles us when we're broken. He treats us kindly and with tenderness. And he hands over leadership in the conversation to us because he knows we can't handle his authority right now. Where are you going to get this living water, big shot? Do you think you're greater than Jacob? And then it flips. He tells her, oh, a matter of fact, the water I'm giving you is special and you will never have to come to this well again. I love that. Okay. Please then. But please is returned. Please give me some of that water. It starts with Please give me a bit of water. And now the shoe's on the other foot. And she says, Okay, I'll bite. Would you give me some of this water that will bubble up within me and leave me never thirsty again? I love the ask. What are God's promises worth if you don't ask? What do you get if you just sit silently and you feel the movement of the Holy Spirit just clam up? She says, all right. Clearly something different is going on here. some of that water. And Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah to this woman first. This is a Samaritan woman from a village we can't even find archaeologically. Who is 
such a low space in her local culture and in her community that she has to sneak out to the well in the middle of the day so that she doesn't have to face any other people at the well. She has to go in the heat of the day to avoid all these others. She has been married multiple times. She has married and been rejected and married and been rejected and married and been rejected and married and been rejected. We men don't get this. She couldn't apply for a divorce. She had been divorced. She had been told over and over and over and over and over again that she wasn't worthy of keeping around the house. To the curb with you. Here's your letter of divorcement. Now get out. This is the woman who has nothing left. Pride is gone and all she's got now is shame. Her heart's been dragged out, thrust to the ground, kicked out so many times now that all that's left of her heart is bruised. The man she's with right now won't even do her the courtesy of marrying her. All the power and authority was with the males in her society. And here comes Jesus wearing pants. I know he wasn't wearing pants. He's wearing a dress like everybody else. But you get the picture. The Savior comes and it's a man. But he's enough different. He's different enough to engage her in a conversation that takes her to the point where he says, you know who you're looking at? Is actually the Messiah. Other things unfold to prove his case. And she runs off. Listen carefully. As the first fully informed evangelist of the gospel. Her. God is good. There's probably not a lower valley in anyone's experience than the one she was in that day when Jesus, who had to go through Samaria, met her. He didn't have to go to Samaria. He went to Samaria to talk to her. He didn't have to sit by that well, but he chose to sit by that well because she was coming. When you're up against it, when your heart feels just like hers, like it's just been kicked and kicked and kicked, You don't have to go find him. He'll come find you. If you're willing to take that conversation, if you're willing to engage with him, it'll be life transforming. It's Valley One. That valley's up in central Israel. It's Samaritan territory at the time. Then, interestingly enough, Palestinian territory today. If you'd like to go see that valley, you can't just take a tour of Israel. You have to take a tour of Israel and Palestinian territory. I'd suggest it. This other valley edge of the Jordan River. It's 1,100 feet below sea level. Below sea level. If the rest of Israel's not there, the ocean is that in that spot, and it's 1,000 feet deep at that spot. It's outside the city of Jericho. There's a city with a past. A city that would bar Israel from coming into the promised land. 
the city would stop the promise of God at the borders of the land. The city that seemed inconquerable, giant walls, walls on the outside, uh, a stone slope up to another set of walls on the top. And inside of those two layers of walls, then the city and all of those who fought for it and would guard it. That's Jericho. You know the story of Jericho, right? Everybody, secular folks know the story of Jericho. The walls came tumbling down. When Joshua saw the fall of Jericho, he said, cursed is the man who rebuilds it. He will rebuild it at the loss of his child. He will rebuild its walls at the loss of his second. And a man chose to rebuild it. And this city was built in spite of the blood bought for his family. It sits right there. The Dead Sea, just to the south. The Jordan Valley, all the way up to the Sea of Galilee, just to the north. And it's that place where between living water and the Dead Sea, Jesus heads into Jericho one day. There it sits. Jerusalem is up that way. Jerusalem is 1,200 feet above sea level. This is 1,100 feet below sea level. It's a couple thousand feet from here up to Jerusalem. 17 miles, all uphill. Luke chapter 18. The story starts. Then it happened. Like Jesus had to go to Samaria. Then Jesus just happened to wander into Jericho. It's so interesting to me how often the Bible treats everything, that, or treats these things that Jesus is doing as if they're just kind of accidental. Things are just happening to Jesus. Jesus isn't actually doing anything. He just shows up and things happen to him. He's, he's happening to be outside of Jericho. As he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the roadside begging. Remember this story? Hearing the multitude passing by, he asked what, is it, what it meant. So he told him that Je- they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was doing what? Passing by. If you're sitting there and you've heard the story of Jesus healing blind people and you are blind, would you let him pass by? Would you let your opportunity just walk on by? Neither would he. I like the temerity of this man. He cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now imagine yourself. You're there in the front of the crowd, headed into Jericho. You've picked a nice wide gate because there's a lot of folks following Jesus. And so you're trying to get in. And there near the gate is this bump. And you know Jesus. He stops for every bum in town. Like us. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So they say, hey, 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 quiet. We have something to do here. If he hears you, he's going to stop all that we've got going on. He shouted louder. When you're up against it and you're not being heard the first time, because your voice does that, just yell louder. Pray longer. Stay at it. Don't be dissuaded by those who would tell you to be quiet. Be quiet. Pardon me, says, I am blind. He can heal me. No. And he shouts louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus heard him. And he did what everybody expected him to do. He stopped. Wait a second. Where's that coming from? 
The whole group stops. People in the front. See, I told you to be quiet. He ordered that the man be brought to him. When he's sitting at the well, he says, please, to the woman whose heart is broken. To the people who would stand in the way of the healing of this man, he gives orders. He ordered that the man be brought to him. He asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? I always want the Bible to include, duh. There's apparently no Greek or Hebrew word for duh. He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. He said, Lord. You see, the woman at the well was told that he was the Messiah. And she ran into the city saying, I may have discovered the Messiah. The man who is blind to all of us has figured out who Jesus is without ever seeing him. Sometimes your eyes are your worst enemy when it comes to seeing Jesus. I think that's why it's so good to pray with your eyes closed. I have the most beautiful worship experiences with my eyes closed. I love that we print the words on the screen because I can peek and see. But it is so much better for me when I know the song and I can just sing along. Instantly, the man could see. And what did his sight make him do? He followed Jesus. He followed Jesus. He joins the group headed into Jericho. Bottom of the hill for a Jew. He's not as far down as the woman from Samaria because he's not a woman and he's not from Samaria way down the list because everybody looks at him and says, God hates this guy. He's blind, after all. What good is he to anyone but to sit on the side and beg like this? And humiliated every day, he finds his way to this spot by the gate where lots of people will pass, and he humbly finds himself seated before them, asking for their help day after day after day. Worse off than him is the man inside the wall. Worse off than him is the man inside the wall. Same day. Remember, there's no divisions between the text for chapters and verses. You go from the end of 18 to the beginning of 19, and the next story takes place just inside the wall. Probably know this one. Jesus entered Jericho, made his way through town. It sounds like it should be his song. And Jesus came to Jericho and made his way through town. <laughs> Try this one more time. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Right? That where your brain went? He was the chief tax collector. This is a big wheel. He may be a little guy, but he's a big deal. And he had become very rich. He's not just a little bit rich. He's very rich. I have a pretty easy time mustering up some heart feelings for the woman caught in the well. The day I realized that she had been divorced by those men broke my heart. I have, a, have an okay time mustering up some sympathy for a man who's blind sitting at the city gate having to beg to survive. I don't have a lot of sympathy 
the rich guys who get there by doing bad things. You? It's easy to despise rich people. Everyone despises rich people, and the richer you are, the more despised you get. You know the best way to be a rich person and not be despised? Don't let anybody know you're rich. Zacchaeus has been getting his wealth on the backs of his fellow Israelites. He might be on a lower cultural rung of the ladder than the Samaritan woman. He is not only a tax collector, which means he's sold out to the Romans and he's taken the money of the people, the good people of Israel, and he's giving it to the Romans. The occupying country, the occupying people in Israel are getting money because this guy's sweating it out of a bunch of innocent Israelites. Not only is he a tax collector like um, disciple number five, Matt, He's the regional chief. And this is a hot spot because the the caravans come up out of Egypt right through here. And if you're going up up to Jerusalem, you go right past Jericho. If you're going to follow the Jordan up to Galilee, you go right past Jericho. If you're coming the other way, you got to go right past Jericho. It's a hot spot to be the tax man. Everybody comes by, you owe me taxes, you owe me taxes, you owe me taxes. I know you don't live here, but you owe me taxes for going by here. And you know how you really get wealthy as a tax collector. The Romans say 5% and you say 7 And the person with the sword next to you says, give it to him. And if he doesn't like you, he says 10 So everybody's going to be nice to you and spit on you when they walk away. And when you die, they will happily lubricate your grave with spit. That's our man Zacchaeus. And he's short. You're all snickering because you know what I'm about to say. He has a bad case of short man's disease. Just to walk into the dorm, Granger Hall, walk in the front doors of Granger Hall. They were beautiful. The dorm had just, the, the dean had just done a mural in glass above that said Granger Hall. We were all very proud of it. Walk in, and there was this guy. I knew him. He was my friend. We, you know, done a lot of things together, but he had a bad case of short man's disease. Lifted a lot of weights. Big, broad shoulders. I had wrestled when I was a kid. He had wrestled. He had wrestled a lot. I had wrestled a little. Walk into Granger. Be there in the lobby. He goes, hey, Groff, want to wrestle? I would usually say yes. I outweighed him by 50 pounds. some of the hardest wrestling matches I've ever been in because he would not quit. Because a loss for him was a loss of dignity. Because how was he else, how else was he going to prove what a big man he was? People watching, I didn't see anything. about five people who know who you are. They're all agreeing with me, by the way. It'll be interesting if I get a call from him. (laughs) This guy with a bad case of short man's disease has climbed the ladder, has forced himself to the top, and now he hangs it over everybody. He is despised. Trying to get a look at Jesus. Now imagine being this guy trying to get through a crowd. Is anybody letting you in? Nope. They're not going to pick you up if they find you bleeding beside the road. You have no friends. You have only colleagues who work for you out of fear or because you pay them. That's this guy. Tried to get to look at Jesus. 
Why? Curiosity? tries to get a look at Jesus, no one will let him in because he's too short to see over the crowd. Those of you guys of like 6'5", you've never experienced this. You're as tall as a doorway. So I ran ahead. Climbed up a sycamore fig tree. This is a it's a pretty stout tree. They have one in Jericho. You, you, when you go there, you should go by and see it. It's probably not the original, but it is a sycamore fig tree. And he climbs up the tree. It's not a sycamore tree like you like, like out in the parking lot. It's not a sycamore tree like we have here. It's a fig tree, and he climbs up this fig tree. Do you know if you break a limb on a fig tree, what happens to you? When you break a little limb off a fig tree, it puts out that white, latexy, nasty stuff. He climbs up one of those trees. Any limb he breaks off, he's getting uh, that gooey, nasty, gluey, it kind of burns a little bit stuff on himself. He's pretty serious about seeing Jesus. Climbs up a sycamore fig tree beside the road because he saw that Jesus was going to pass this way. Man, you want to be in the flow of the current of Jesus. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. Don't you wonder what he did? I always wonder. You know, tap him on the leg. Hey, how you doing up there? Looked up at Zacchaeus. Called him by name. And he knows yours and he knows mine. Walks through the town. There's this little rebel of a man sitting in a tree so he can see Jesus and he says hey Zacchaeus you need to come down from that tree I must be a guest in your home today he had to go through he had to go through Samaria He was already going to be the guest of Zacchaeus. By now, the disciples are probably used to this. They've eaten dinner at tax collectors and sinners' homes before. They hang out at Matthew's when they're around Galilee. Probably the nicest house anybody has in their group. I'm going to be a guest in your home today. How would you respond to that? No, you're not. Or, okay, let me get out of the tree real quick. Because that's what he did. I have no explanation. I want to ask him because I have no understanding. I have no place to put that response. Was he starting to be converted? Was he beginning to move toward Jesus all along? Is that why he desperately wanted to see him? Was he feeling the weight of his own sinfulness? Was he feeling his, his abandonment, abandonment and his isolation from his culture and from his people? Was he feeling so broken that the valley of, that Jericho was in was his valley at this moment? I don't know. Culturally, I know he's down there. Maybe emotionally and spiritually he's down there too. So he climbs up this nasty, mucky little tree, big tree actually. And lo and behold, Jesus walks under the tree and says, Hey, come on. I'm going to be your guest tonight. And when he says that, ripples go through the crowd. People go, you know, the the first thing that happens when that happens, right? It's that everybody sucks the air out of the space. kidding me? What does he think he's doing? Again. Drags his 12 disciples into this shame as well. Zacchaeus quickly came down, took Jesus to his house. He prepares a meal for 12 guys. He probably has servants. He probably has some of his friends over too. 
how long would it take you to go into your yard, kill a lamb, bring it in, gut it, peel its skin off? This is what happened. There's no freezer. He rotisseries this thing. And while this thing is cooking, while dinner is being prepared, Jesus is rubbing shoulders with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is rubbing shoulders with Jesus. And things are changing. When you rub shoulders with Jesus, things change. When you rub shoulders with Jesus, you can't stay the same. If you are here today and you're trying to avoid Jesus, you're in the wrong place. Because you're about to bump into somebody who loves Jesus. They're going to tell you their story. And you go, well, that's kind of like my story. You're going to hear something from the Bible. You're going to hear something from a song that you're trying to ignore, but you just can't. And he spends hours rubbing shoulders with Jesus. We always, in this text, it looks like it happens so fast. While all those people are complaining and gasping and standing around going, how dare Jesus go to this man's house? Zacchaeus is being converted. We got to be real careful about getting judgy about people's interactions with people who need Jesus. And so Zacchaeus, at some point, maybe it's in the middle of the dinner party, maybe it's as dinner's being served, but at some point in the next few hours, Zacchaeus stands up, and everybody said, "Is he actually standing?" I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, who's in charge of Zacchaeus' life now? I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back 400%. Zacchaeus just may have gone from biggest bank account in town to one of the smallest. But Zacchaeus is willing to bankrupt himself financially to have the blessing of God on his life. And I think it's a pretty darn good trade. Jesus responds, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. The Jews didn't even want to claim him. Jesus said, this is a true son of Abraham right here. I want to take you back to Gerizim and Ebal, those two mountains where we started. Where Jesus sat by the well talked to the woman who was in the valley of the valleys of valleys. And there behind her, Gerizim, evil. The true, the true mountains of blessing and curse, they looked like mountains of blessing and curse. Where Israel had stood, now, now 1,500, 1,600 years before this, Israel had stood in this same valley there between Gerizim and Ebal and promised that they would follow God. There's a part of that story that seems backward. You know that Joshua builds a big, beautiful altar and they sacrificed a bunch of animals up there. Do you remember what hill it was on? Why would you not build the altar on the valleys on the side of the blessing? Because you need the altar when you're feeling the curse. The sacrifice is for those of us who need the covering of the blood. The sacrifice is the blood that reaches the valley. 
reaches to the highest mountain. And it reaches the lowest valley. About 25, 30 years ago, they found the altar. Big, huge, size of the stage. Around it, the bones of sacrificial animals. Because when you're losing is when you need Jesus. When you're rejected is when you'll see your need of Jesus. And if we don't see ourselves in the valley, if we don't see our own mistakes, we might to the false conclusion that we don't need Jesus. I don't know what motivated Zacchaeus. May have just been curiosity. I don't know what brought you here. May have just been guilt. You may just have been dragged in by a family member. But here's what I do know. Jesus is coming to your tree. He's coming to your well. He's coming to your favorite begging spot. And he doesn't want to leave you there. Let's pray. Father God, we are far, far, far from what we could be. Some of us came here today at the bottom of a well. Some of us came here feeling like there was no other answer. Some of us feel like we got our stuff together. We have the bank account to prove it. But whether we're curious or whether we're forced or whether we're here because we know how broken we really are. Thank you for meeting us there. Thank you for coming to our tree, to our spot, to our valley. So that we might go home. So that we might be covered by the blood of Jesus. And have a different tomorrow than we had yesterday. place ourselves in your hand. I know the preacher does. And ask for your grace, your mercy. The water of living, unquenchable source. We choose you today. 